Good morning. We're reading from Genesis chapter 20, which is on page 20, if you like to follow the Bibles in front of you. Otherwise, you can hopefully follow the screen. Genesis 20. Now, Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while, he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. Then Abimelech of Gerar sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now, Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah, he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels, that's about 12 kilograms, of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female slaves so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah.
quick prayer as we start. Our Father, we hold in our hands the Word of God. We have in our hearts the Spirit of God. We pray that you would apply your Word to our hearts and lives, that we may learn things that will draw us closer to yourself. So bless us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Abraham, of course, is part of God's long-distance recovery plan for mankind, for the earth, for the whole universe. God had chosen a man, a family, to be a nation, and from that nation to send the savior of the whole world. Now, this incident, Abraham and his lies, where fear can lead, uh, it has a prelude in Egypt. And I'm going to read quickly, I hope, uh, some verses from uh, Genesis chapter 12. Abraham, Abraham was called Abraham in that earlier stage. Uh, and just let's set the context uh, for looking at Genesis 12. Abraham was in the southern part of the promised land. He'd been told that this land would belong to him and uh, his uh, uh, family and, and nation. Um, but it was a, a drought-prone area, even though researchers tell us that they think the rainfall was much better in those days than now. But then there's a period of drought that hits the land. And uh, uh, Abraham uh, feared for his herds of cattle, his flocks of sheep. He had thousands of uh, livestock, and uh, they were threatened by famine, and he took refuge in Egypt. Now, there's no indication in Scripture uh, that it was wrong for him to find pasture in Egypt, but equally, there's no mention of prayer. So let's just look at this at Genesis chapter 12 and verse 10. Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say, you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake. My life will be spared because of you. When Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abraham well for her sake, and Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham. What have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So there are these two incidents, and they're very similar, aren't they? 
And it seems as though uh, Abraham had quite failed to learn the lesson the first time. Now, just to set the context, uh, there's a familiar map um, on, on the left, which shows the Fertile Crescent. Uh, this was one of the major uh, trade arteries of the ancient world from the city of Ur in the east uh, to Egypt in the west. And um, Abraham was one of the individuals who walked the entire length of it over the course of uh, many, many years. He lived in Ur. He was now living in Egypt. And that made him uh, a matter of some interest. Here was a great trader, uh, a great livestock breeder, and he knew every step of that way. No wonder, uh, uh, no wonder Pharaoh, uh, king of Egypt, was interested in reaching an alliance uh, with this man. And we're told that Abraham uh, was fearful for his safety on account of Sarai's attractiveness. The husband feared uh, assassination, and so he, he develops this deception plan. Half-truth, he was her half-brother, but effectively it was a lie to save his own skin. And here we see the man of faith giving way to fear. And how irrational that was in view of God's promises to him. He was to be the father of a great nation, and all that would end uh, if he was uh, murdered in some back streets of Egypt. And uh, uh, yes, but isn't that so human? We mix fear with faith, and yet God loves us too. So there's encouragement for us. Now, Abraham was learning about God and life on this great salvation highway of faith. Could he trust God's promises? Would faith work in a real world? And if God would protect Abraham, he wouldn't need all this deception. And we read in, in Genesis 12 how, in fact, Abraham's lies endangered Sarai, his wife. And it risked the promise of the son to come. There'd be a question of fatherhood, wouldn't there? And what we see here is Pharaoh building up to effectively a marriage alliance with Abraham, a treaty with him. He was effectively paying a bride price for Sarai, enabling uh, Abraham to grow very rich in Egypt. And that would place Abraham under obligation to him. The world was beginning to squeeze God's man into its own mold. But Abraham was marked out to be God's man. His future destiny was symbolized by living in tents, not to be a man of landed estates and cities and temporal power. And here comes this challenge to Abraham. Would he believe God and obey that original call he had had? He had been allowed to roam in Canaan, one day intended for his descendants. He left city life behind him in Ur. His new future was symbolized by tents in the promised land. He was in temporary accommodation awaiting God's provision. 
But Pharaoh's deal would open up a completely different prospect, alluring in its way, no doubt, but actually a danger to his soul, jeopardizing the Canaan project and salvation way. Abraham was afraid for his own skin. Actually, his soul was in danger in Egypt. He was trying to fend off the wrong foe, the wrong threat. And so we come to the problem, the real problem of uh, Abraham's lies in Egypt. He was missing God's pathway. He was losing spiritual focus. And we read how God intervened to get Abraham back on track and rescue Sarai by showing his authority over Pharaoh and Egypt. For God alone can give life and healing. And at the beginning of chapter 13, Abraham learns his lesson, leaves Egypt, goes back to Bethel, which means the house of God, erects an altar of worship to God. And so we come to an application for ourselves. We too suffer fear, don't we? Fear for our reputation, fear for the cost of discipleship, and it may lead to hiding our faith. And it's dangerously easy to be diverted into wealth and status-seeking. Remember the parable of the sower where Jesus warned against a shallow faith easily uprooted by fear or lives so choked by the anxieties of life and the deceitfulness of riches that they become unfruitful What a danger for every Christian in this room who starts well and may backslide later. Going to university can be a very testing time for a young Christian, how we need to pray for them. Christians who go into the armed services, into business, become very successful Money can become too attractive. I've lived long enough to know the tragic story of some people who in my youth and theirs ran well as Christians and now appear to be nowhere in terms of the kingdom of heaven. It is a real danger of backsliding. Abraham was in such danger. And we have to ask ourselves the question, how do we get back on track? How do we maintain focus? Look what Abraham does. He goes back to Bethel, where he had met with God. He renewed that altar. How do we keep faith's focus alive? We have to be very practical here. Start each day with Scripture, the prayer of commitment to God, Give him the day. Ask him to shape the way you think and react to every circumstance of the day. Ask him to keep your focus clear 
on Christ and serving him. And how easy it is to take a verse of scripture, perhaps waiting for a bus or on a train, just to remember from scripture who God is, who we are, our calling, to keep alive, a life of prayer. That can be difficult on our own. Try praying with somebody else. Keep a list. <laughs> I didn't ask Margaret if I could say this, but I know she has a technique for getting to sleep on sleepless nights. She has a list, A to Z, of people to pray for. You wonder who Z might be? Zilla. <laughs> yeah? Uh, keep alive, keep close to the Lord and his people. They're our family in Christ. And then we find Abraham. Now he's become Abraham. And he repeats exactly the same failure in Canaan. Once in Egypt, now in Canaan. Uh, with Abimelech. Um, actually, Abimelech means my father is king. It could be a royal title like Pharaoh in Egypt rather than a personal name. We don't know, but Abimelech appears once or twice in the Abraham story. But in this instance as well, in chapter 20, which we've had read to us, uh, Abraham is concerned with saving his skin. But this time, there's an additional dimension. Here, his distinctive witness as one of God's people is at stake. Look how Abimelech reacts to the, to, uh, the lie that Abraham has told him. He's been shown by God that uh, Sarah is his wife, not his sister. Incidentally, one interesting comment on the ancient world where an independent woman is not really understood. If she's married, she comes under this person's protection. If she's a single woman, she obviously wants to be married. And so a king like Pharaoh, a king like Abimelech, feels, of course, this single woman must be looking out for a marriage partner. Well, what could be better than a king? You could be looked after in a palace. Think of your children. They'd be brought up in the best way, sent to the best schools. No one would refuse such an offer. And you notice in both Pharaoh's case and Abimelech, they prepare the way. This is not some uh, abduction in a back street. This is bringing somebody into the court, introducing them to royal life, and preparing the way for a marriage alliance. The same thing uh, uh, repeated here in Canaan. And Abraham would have been a really good catch, a great ally in the desert, for instance, a man who knows those trading routes and all the rest of it. And so Abimelech, like Pharaoh, wants a marriage alliance to seal a treaty of friendship. But Abraham, uh, he had groundless fears. He, he wrongs Abimelech. 
he thinks there's no fear of God in this place. And he tells uh, Abimelech that. Um, and actually, do you see how Abraham is forfeiting his distinctive position as a servant of God? He was causing offense. And what had he been called to be for the nations? A blessing to them. We're called to be a blessing to those around us. Let us be careful as servants of Christ that we don't give needless offense, that we don't imagine enmity where actually we might find someone to work with us. Abraham admired his relationships with his neighbor. And you ask yourself the question, what would Abimelech think now of Abraham's faith and Abraham's God? No, his witness to the world was at stake. And isn't that a perpetual challenge to us, to the whole church, to be God's distinctive people and to retain that distinctiveness in a world that wants to stifle our witness and squeeze us into its mold? And doesn't that make us very often silent when we should be witnesses? Remember what John Stott uh, is quoted as saying? Most Christians are like Canadian rivers frozen at the mouth. <laughs> and sometimes we expect a hostile reaction from those around us got my God suit on, or my socially acceptable camouflage kit so that nobody actually realizes that I'm a servant of God. Oh, we need to be living lives that are distinctive, and we need to pray for God to go before us, to prepare the way, to give us opportunities, to give us words. But running through these two stories is another narrative. God, the problem solver. God, the rescuer. First, God rescued his servant by divine intervention. He made it clear that this man and this woman were under his almighty protection. Abraham could never have got them out of that jam. God had to do it. God is the great rescuer of mankind. Have you discovered that God alone can save you from your guilt before him? Only God can save us from our sins. We cannot improve ourselves. We cannot deserve God's mercy. But he sent his son to pay the atoning price for us. God, the rescuer. And God restored Abraham's vision and his calling in Egypt. And he restored his calling to be a blessing to the whole world in front of Abimelech. 
Abraham was called to pray for him. We'll come to that in just a moment. But just think for uh, a few moments longer of God, the rescuer. God is our strength and refuge, the psalmist often testifies. Luther wrote that wonderful hymn, A Safe Stronghold, Our God is Still. Do you experience God as your refuge and strength? <laughs> Luther wrote those words out of a very dangerous experience in his life. He had appeared, he'd been summoned before the Emperor Charles V of Vance, and he'd been commanded there to withdraw all his statements about justification by faith. And Luther refused to do so. Here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. And so the emperor passed sentence. He was placed under the ban of the empire, which meant that nobody was to offer him food or lodging or any protection. And Luther went out from that gathering wondering how short his life might be. And almost immediately he was seized by half a dozen uh, soldiers who carted him off he knew not where. Actually, he was taken to a secret rendezvous, a refuge, a fortress, the Wartburg Fortress in the depths of a forest belonging to a princely patron of Luther's. He had friends in high places, but God was his refuge. And Luther loved to recall that, a safe stronghold, our God is still. And it's true for us as well. Whatever we face, trust in God. He is our stability. He is our protection as Abraham was beginning to learn. God had lessons for Abraham. He was teaching him about the pathway of faith. Keep on track. Hold and declare God's message. God describes him as a prophet. It's interesting, first use of that word here in Scripture. And because he's a prophet, he's to pray for Abimelech to pray for him. Now we too hold God's word and we can declare it to others. We all of us have the obligation, the privilege, the power of prayer for people who can't approach God for themselves. Does it work? Think of Stephen's dying prayer. Father, forgive and God answered that abundantly. Where Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor, becomes Paul, the great apostle. In 1526, William Tyndale translated and published in England the English New Testament. It in many ways kick-started the English Reformation. Henry VIII was furious. The church authorities were after his blood. He had to flee the country. He was tracked down by the authorities in Antwerp. 
and put to death. And Tyndale's dying prayer was, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. Two or three years later, Henry VIII, who had forbidden an English New Testament, declared that henceforward there must be a Bible in English in every parish church for anyone to read. Open the King of England's eyes. And this wicked old king went to his death in 1547. And Thomas Cranmer, the Archbishop of Canterbury, went to prepare him for death. I went to tell him of a dying sinner's friend, the only savior for an old reprobate like Henry, and pointed him to the cross. By this stage, Henry had lost the power of speech. And Cranmer said to him, if you believe these things in your heart, give me a sign. Henry reached out, grabbed his, his arm and held on to it. And Cranmer believed, hoped, longed that this was an indication of saving faith. What power there is in prayer if we can learn to come into God's presence and intercede for others. Friends, this is how we become a blessing to the world, blessing to all around us. And through these two stories of Abraham's lies, God has lessons for all. He is God of all people. His authority extended to Egypt, to Canaan, to every country of the world. His authority is not localized, it's universal. God gives life and healing to all. Good news for Sarah, the author of life. He protects his people. We don't need to behave shiftily in the world. We can hold our heads high and live as God wants us to. God to the rescue. This God is our savior. Abraham was fearful of people around him, but God was there. Had gone ahead of him to prepare the way. Deuteronomy 31.8. I love this verse. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. In the words of Jesus, I am with you always to the end of the age. And a final promise of God to Abraham from Genesis 12. Do not be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. May we learn from Abraham and his mistakes. May we learn from our great God who is with us. 
Lord, how we thank you that you are with us, that you go ahead of us. Keep us living faithfully as your disciples, your witnesses. May Jesus be glorified in our lives, we pray. Amen.